0: Hey guys, it's Jason. You know, I am the improve always and always guy. Have you ever wanted to live the improve always and always lifestyle day in and day out? Well, guess what? There's an app for that. It's the Vitruvian Lab. And you can go to the Apple store right now and download it for free. And I got to tell you about my latest course. It's Massively Transformative Habits, MTH. This is a course where I not only give you the science backed research of those universal habits that every single one of us need to adopt for Better health, better thinking, better relationships, living longer and living healthier. But also, I give you the behavioral science that will help you understand how to make these behaviors habits. It's one thing to know what you should be doing, it's another thing to know how to start habits. But combining the two, knowing exactly what you should be doing every single day of your life for a more joyful, fulfilling life, a healthier life, and also how to make Those habits stick. It's all in massively transformative habit. Here's where you can learn all about it. JasonRightNow.com forward slash M-T-H. JasonRightNow.com forward slash M-T-H. Go out to the App Store, download the Vitruvian Lab for free. Then go over and check out JasonRightNow.com forward slash M-T-H. There's only going to be 50 slots for this initial cohort. I want you to check it out. If you have any questions, contact me. Find out if this is right for you. I would love to talk to you. That's jasonrightnow.com forward slash MTH. Check out massively transformative habits. Now, enjoy the show. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I almost forgot the best part. Because you are a Jason Wright Show listener, you get 100 off the course should you decide to take it all you have to do is put in promo code podcast at the checkout and you get the course for a hundred dollars off check it out promo code podcast go right now jasonrightnow.com forward slash mth i will see you there well hello everyone and welcome to the jason Wright show all right so how many of you have ever thought about buying your own business, being becoming a small business owner, an entrepreneur, or whatever the case may be? Well, when I was 28 years old, back in 2003. So yes, this Sunday I turned 48 years old, and man, I feel amazing. But the bottom line is, I'm 48 years old. I'm knocking on 50s door. I can't believe it. So it was 2003. I'm 28. I decided to buy my first business and it was a real estate brokerage firm in Tyler, Texas. I had never lived in Tyler, Texas in my whole life. I had no family here, no friends here. I'd never sold a house in my life and I'd never owned a business of my own. And here I am buying a small business in Tyler, Texas that I know nothing about. And you know what? It was basically my way of escaping from corporate America. I wrote a book about it called push play, taking your life off pause. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I've thought that because I was able to pull that off at 28, it wasn't because I was so brilliant or so smart or, so, or anything like that. And anybody that knows me knows like, yeah, yeah, we, we get that. Uh, but there were some universal truths to buying that business that as I look back on it, I would do it exactly the same way today. And there were some things that I just took for granted that I really didn't understand were the reasons why I was able to buy that business and why it worked. That were kind of just common sense for me, just by pure dumb luck, that I would tell someone buying a business, either twice my age or doing it over again, to do the exact same thing. You know, buying a business can be an excellent way to actually get into entrepreneurship. And a lot of people, they think there's like this big mystery to how you buy a business that, like, they, well, a couple of things too. They think, well, let's say that a business that I want to buy is a million dollars they think to themselves oh my gosh you know i don't have a million dollars well most people that buy million dollar businesses even if they have a million dollars aren't going to plunk down a million bucks to buy the business that's just not smart and but the the bottom line is many 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 people who buy million dollar businesses don't have a million to begin with i certainly did not mine wasn't that big it was about a half a million dollar business. But again, I was 28 years old. I had only been in corporate America or, or excuse me, just the, the working world, if you will, uh, post uh, undergrad for six years. So I didn't have like this heavy net worth, had two children at the time and um, still do have two children, by the way, uh, had, had two children. And, you know, but I so I had didn't have half a million dollars to buy a business, but I still pulled it off. And so I want to kind of dispel some of the mysteries of how you do that, because a lot of times I think that people believe that, well, I know how hard it was to buy a house. And and here's the crazy thing. Buying a million dollar business can be a lot easier than trying to buy a house these days for a lot of different reasons that we don't have to go into. But what I want to do is I want to give you just a little bit of helpful insight as to how you might be able to buy a business and some steps that. Everyone should take, should you desire to do this, as well as t- kind of just give you some of the the reality. This is kind of my wheelhouse. I'm not a big-time private equity guy. I've got buddies like um, you know Ed Crawford at Kotala Holdings, founder of Kotala, and just a wicked smart guy. You know, he makes big acquisitions. I mean, they're gonna be going out and buying, you know, everything from 4 million to 40 to probably $100 million dollar businesses, maybe even beyond that. My buddy Jim Mays, who's a principal at Rockland Capital, they buy, they make just massive deals. They buy power plants. That's not what I do. That's not what I have done. What I know is how to go to a first generation, one to $3 million top line business and convince that seller that's probably been running that thing for 30 or 40 years and has kids that don't want to take it over. I convince him that I'm the guy that he should sell or she should sell her business to. That's what I'm really good at. Um, That's kind of, and a lot of that has to do with salesmanship. It has to do with how you handle relationships. And so that's kind of what I want to do in this conversation is to try to kind of give you an idea of how you find that dream business. How do you start the process? How do you initiate that conversation? And so I wrote an article that I published this morning on jasonrightnow.com. I hope you'll go check it out. And I thought I would come onto the podcast today and I would share that article with you, but give you some, uh, like a couple layers deeper of commentary, because this is something I've really thought a lot about. I would love to eventually one day um, help people and coach them on how to acquire a small business. So if this is something that you've ever thought about doing and you need some guidance or whatever, uh, and you just need some advice, again, this isn't a pitch for, uh, for for services. I'm just saying, let me see if I can help. I'm happy to answer any questions. You know, DM me on Instagram at jasonrightnow or just go to jasonrightnow.com and fill out the contact form and and, and shoot me your question. And what, I'll, what I'd what love to do is come back on here and answer some of these questions. So if you have any questions about owning, operating or or purchasing a small business, then by all means, reach out to me. All right, so let's get started on the article, and then I'm going to take it. I'm going to, again, fill in some commentary here. It was 2003, and I had spent my first six years in the business world, job hopping through corporate America, and was suddenly miserable beyond belief. I had a great job with one of the largest corporations in the world. All I had to do was keep my head down, work hard, and I would eventually be an executive, yet I was miserable so here's where i was at the time i was working for the home depot corporation i'd gotten there because i was a part of a small startup called avenue b2e a special kind of project management company that had one client that one client was enron never heard of it and whenever enron went down my partners and i the two founders and i they uh we all parted ways uh They went on to be wildly successful in another type of project management business called Mind Wireless, and they're headquartered in Austin now. Phenomenal guys, phenomenal company, brilliant entrepreneurs, and I probably learned more from Kevin Whitehurst and David Wise than I have from any two people in my entire business career. So thank you, Kevin and David, for that opportunity. I did not go with them to start this other plan. Instead, I just took some time off to try to figure out exactly what my next move was going to be. I had already been a a chronic job hopper. I was really good. When I was out in the job force, you know, kind of the corporate world, I was really good at getting jobs. And, And back then, you know, the economy was such that pretty much everybody was good at getting jobs. And the tech sector was really hot. And I wanted to do something in consulting and services. And, but then I got to the point after the Enron fiasco, I thought, you know, the next deal I want to do, I want to work for a company where I know exactly where the money comes from. And I want to work for a big company that everyone has heard of. I want to go try to flex my muscles within a a very large organization. And I had just read Jack Welch's first book at that time, which I think is called Winning. And I can't remember if that's the the actual title or not. But I read about Bob Nardelli and how he got the job as CEO of Home Depot essentially he was one of the three finalists for the job at GE he didn't get the job and so he went to Home Depot and I thought well you know I don't want to strap on a uh, an orange apron and work in a store but I admired the business that Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank had built. And everyone knows who Home Depot is. It's a, it had become a solid American business at the time. They, um, they, were just, they, they printed money, essentially. And, but they had just recently hired their first outside CEO. And it documented this in the book about how Ken Langone had a, it recruited Nardelli to come over to Home Depot. And he was the first ever outside CEO. So I thought, huh. Well, that kind of fits exactly what I'm looking for. Big company, big name, easy to read their balance sheet. I know how they make their money and how much money they have. Okay, let's go check this out. And I'm looking online at corporate jobs available at the Home Depot, and I read about this rotational program they've got. Which sounded identical to GE's program, which I was not smart enough and didn't go to a good enough school to get into. And so GE, I couldn't get hired for. But I thought, well, this is the exact same program. It's an executive rotational program, essentially, where they expose you to all different facets of the business. And the idea is this is a program that they hire uh, at the time. Most, well, GE did this too, but Home Depot, Nardelli set it up, so it was mostly uh, JMOs, junior military officers, in other words, um, officers that had gone through ROTC, gotten a college degree, most of them had gone to one of the academies, Air Force, Navy, uh, West Point, and they were hiring most of those folks as well as top tier business school students or undergrads to come into this rotational program. Of course, I went to Stephen F. Austin State University, Axum Jacks, but not exactly a top tier university. And so, but I'm sitting here reading it and I'm going, oh, wow, this is really cool. It's exciting. I, I could, uh, this is the program they have at GE, but they've implemented it at, at Home Depot. I guarantee that's what they've done. So I sent in my resume. Within like two hours, I get a phone call. And by the way, I don't know how long exactly Nardelli has been at Home Depot. I have no idea how long this program has existed. And so I'm talking to a recruiter, and the first thing the recruiter asks me is, well, what do you know about our CEO? So I know everything about your CEO, spent his entire career at uh, GE. His father worked at GE. He did leave for a little while to go head up marketing at John Deere. He's known for implementing Six Sigma. He didn't get the job at, after Welch, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, okay, we get it. You understand who Bob Nardelli is. And so we just have a nice conversation. I explained why I was looking for a job, what had happened at Enron. And then they ended up flying me in for to do one of the first uh, sets of interviews that they had ever held for this program. I had no idea. So to cut to the end of this story, I get the job and I go to work for Home Depot and I'm traveling all the time. I'm never at home. My office is in Atlanta and Vining's Georgia, at the headquarters. I'm still living at Houston. I'm having to work some in stores, going around figuring out how to fix this business that they used to have called Expo Design Center. And I am just miserable, just miserable. I mean, I sat at my desk one day and was brought to tears. I was so just upset with this uh, this career move that i made. And I finally decided that the only cure for this was to stop job hopping, but to take control of my own fate ba- and buy my own business. Another thing too, Ryland and Abby at the time were two and three years old. And I'll never forget this. This is one of, my, the, the, this is one of those stories that I love to tell anyone that's looking to kind of blueprint their life and... If they asked me, so when was it for you that you decided to really take control of how you were going to manage your career, here's what it was. All right, so there was this one stint whenever I was with the Home Depot that I was flying to Atlanta on a weekly basis. And so what I would do is, and Ryland at the time was around, I guess she was three, and trying to figure out how to leave your child when they're that young for the week the right time to do it without upsetting them is really tricky so i, I there was a time whenever i would leave on sunday afternoons so i'd stay as long as i could throughout the weekend and then i'd have a driver come get me and i would take off well rylan always see me would always see me leave at those times and she would get really upset and so i thought well what if i leave really really early on the red eye on monday mornings that way she's asleep and she doesn't know. Well, then I mean, she's three years old. She wakes up and she doesn't know Monday from Wednesday. All she knows is she wakes up and all of a sudden Dad's gone, and that really worked on me. Well, then one day on one of the Sunday le- the departures, she's sitting at the bar coloring like she often did, and um, she's about to. I'm about to leave. The car pulls up, and I try to say, "Okay, baby, I'm leaving," and uh, she doesn't even look up from what she's coloring. She said, "Bye, Dad." I mean no emotion, no nothing. Now let me tell you something. Rylan bawling her eyes out whenever I left was that hurt. There was pain. But her indifference hurt way more. And that was whenever I decided I gotta get out. I gotta figure this out. And at the time, man, I, I'm only 28 years old. Like, what the heck am I going I'm not, to, I'm not real sharp. I don't have, again, I don't have an Ivy League degree. I don't have a trust fund. I was like, but I just, I know I've got to get out of this life. And that's whenever I started looking into uh, businesses to buy and acquiring my own business. And by, and by the way, I didn't have a, and this is why I'm doing this conversation. So at the time, I'm a father of two. I don't have a high net worth. I don't have a big idea to start a business. All I know is there's a certain life I want to lead that does not include corporate America, me traveling all the time, and being away from home. That's all I knew. And so I started imagining the type of life I wanted to have in my mind, and it involved coming back to East Texas, where I'm a fifth-generation East Texan, raising my daughters here owning my own business, being very plugged into my church, my community, and to build and develop that business. That, that's what I knew that I wanted. And so if you happen to fall into that category, if you know that you're, you're doing something that even if you had to take an enormous pay cut and assume a lot of risk, but you know that it could at least give you the opportunity to pursue the type of life that you'd want to lead, then this conversation is for you you, because that's where I was. All right, I continue. I wanted something more. I wanted a life. I wanted to own and operate my own small business. That's when I set out to purchase a business. I was 28 and I didn't know so much as the first step to take. All I knew was I wanted out of the corporate grind and wanted to enter the world of entrepreneurship. I learned a lot during the year I purchased my company. I learned most deals die before they succeed. I learned it can be an emotional roller coaster. I learned you don't have to have a lot of money to buy a business. All right, I want to stop there and give you a little commentary because here is kind of the first insight into acquiring a business. You don't have to have all the money. Listen, here's here's how it went down with me. I love this story, and it's actually it's in the book I wrote, Push Play, Taking Your Life Off Pause, where I basically – Give all the details, the good, the bad, and the ugly of my escape from corporate America. So one night I'm driving home from work, and at the time, I mean, this tells you how long ago this was. Again, it was 2003, 20 years ago. I'm listening to Carlton Sheets Real Estate Tapes. You heard me right, Tapes. For those of you who don't remember the infomercials with Carlton Sheets, Carlton Sheets was a guy who sold these tapes on how to buy real estate with no money down. All right, so I had been negotiating. I kind of skipped a little bit there. I'd just to kind of give you a, a quick understanding. I had found a business to buy in Tyler, Texas. It was a real estate firm. I'd never owned a real estate firm in my life. It was residential real estate brokerage, a franchise, a Twenty One franchise. But it came with an office building, and I had spoken to the owner, and he told me during our initial conversation that the office building that the company was housed in was worth about $400,000, and he only owed $56,000 on it, okay? And so he, uh, and and I remember that. So I'm listening, and so we're, we're going through these negotiations, and here's the thing, too, that I don't know whether I would advise this or not, but I was negotiating the purchase of this business as though it was a foregone conclusion that I would actually be able to close the deal if it happened, knowing I didn't have the money to do it. But I just, there was something in me that said, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out a way to acquire this business. I just, I wanted it that bad. I had the vision that that clear. I just believed that I was going to pull this off. And so... I'm listening to Carlton Sheets, and he starts talking about how you can buy a piece of real estate with no money out of your own pocket if the seller has a lot of equity in their their property that you're trying to buy, and they're willing to take a second note. For instance, if they own it free and clear, let's say the property is worth $100,000, okay? Every bank in the world is going to loan you $50,000 against a piece of property that is worth $100,000, So if you can get that seller to take a second lien, so let's say you go to your bank, you say, hey, banker, I want to borrow $50,000 to use as a down payment to buy this $100,000 piece of property. Well, now you've gone from making your traditional 10 to 20% down payment to a 50% down payment to this seller, okay? But he has to be willing to finance the difference between the, you know the 50,000 that he that you still owe him and then you've got a note with the bank. Now, a lot of sellers aren't going to do this because they're having to take the second position. And uh, you know, so if you go if you if you can't make your payments, well guess what? The bank is going to get paid first and that original seller is going to get paid second. So it's a tough deal. So this is where the salesmanship comes in. So I'm going to try to kill two birds with one stone whenever I'm telling you about what I did. The first one is this. When you're financing a small business, it's not always black and white, and there's not some formula like buying a house. Buying a house is pretty simple, and it's very regulated. If it's Unless you are just doing a cash deal or you're buying a piece of property that is completely owned free and clear by the seller, and they don't need all the money, that you can get a little bit creative. But most transactions are going to be pretty simple. There's going to be banks involved, a note being paid off, for by the seller, whenever they get their proceeds from you from your bank, twenty percent of the money is going to come going to go down, and it's going to be a mortgage company and all that. When you're buying a business, I want you to understand. When you at when if somebody asks me, how do you finance a small business? I tell them, how creative can you be? That's the answer. How creative can you be, and how creative can that seller be? So I'm listening to this this Carlton Sheets uh, tape. And he's describing how I did it. And I think to myself, maybe that'll work with this guy. The building is four hundred thousand. That's what it's worth. He only owes fifty six. And then there was all the other numbers as to how much he wanted for the actual franchise, and then how much he wanted for that building. So the next day, I call my banker up. And I'm like, "Hey, if I have a building I'm trying to buy, that's worth two hundred. I mean, it's worth four hundred thousand dollars." Would you loan me $200,000, of which I'm going to make, I'm going to pay off the $56,000 that this guy owes on his building. I'm going to give him a portion of it as a down payment. That's going to be my down payment, by the way, to him for the building. I'm going to give him a portion of it as a down payment on the business, which I'm going to set up a total separate note for. And let me keep some of it for working capital. So I'm going to take $200,000 and I'm going to pay off his building and I'm going to have two, I'm going to have three notes. I'm gonna have a note with my bank, a note on the difference between the down payment for the building, excuse me, for the business and what I actually, what he's selling it to me for. And then a note to the seller on the real estate. I know that's kind of hard to follow, but just bottom line is there's three notes there of which I did not put a dime of my own money that is the way I structured it I had just come from Enron so I'd learned some tricks that's what I used to joke about but honestly my time in Enron had nothing to do with finance so Carlton Sheets taught me not Enron and my banker he said well Jason he said that's very creative and that's a nice plan and sure I'd definitely loan you the money if the if the building actually appraises for that but there's no way this guy's ever going to take a second position because I would have to have first position and there's no way he's going to do that And I said, well, I'm going to try. And so I presented this deal to the seller, and he said, no, there's no way. I cannot do that. And so the deal died for a little while. So let me continue reading. All you need is a willing seller a compelling story as to why you are the right buyer and an ability to convince the seller they will get their money. That's what I did. You can read about the entire experience in my book, Push Play, Taking Your Life Off, Pause, where I document my escape from corporate America. I give the good, the bad, and the ugly of the whole experience. And then I go in and I say, here are some basics of purchasing a small business. While every deal is different, there are some universal practices to buying a business. The one thing I advise all of my advisory clients who want to buy a business is this. Make sure you really want to be a small business owner. And listen to me, folks. Listen, I'm not reading now. This is J-Dub talking to you directly. Make sure you really want to be a business owner. And this, here's the here's a story that I told. Often it sounds better to be an entrepreneur than the reality of actually being one. I always use the analogy of when I decided I might want to buy a Harley-Davidson Sportster. I borrowed a friend's and went to, to our church parking lot to ride it for, for the first time. I laid it over inside of two minutes, destroyed one of the, the tailpipes, had to go spend 150 bucks to replace it. Oh, God, it was terrible. I never got on a bike again, and I haven't since. The thought of riding a Harley was much better than the reality. That said, let's say you have already flipped the switch in your mind. You're an entrepreneur and you want to buy a revenue stream. Good for you. Let's talk some basics. As an entrepreneur, you always have to be on the lookout for new opportunities. One way to do this is to purchase an existing business. This can be a great way to get your foot in the door of a new industry or market, and it can also provide some instant revenue. Here are three ways Uh, Excuse me. Here are three easy steps to follow in purchasing a business. And here are the basic three that you got to go through. One, the due diligence two, the negotiation and three, the financing. And let's take a closer look at each of these steps. And we're going to go through those. All right. So first and foremost. Research the business you want to purchase and make sure it is good for you. Purchasing a business is an an exciting but risky undertaking. The sales process often requires salesmanship as owners are looking to maximize the the sale price. While buyers must practice patience to keep their objectives top of mind without being taken advantage of in the deal. i got to talk about this for a minute. I cannot overstress how much salesmanship is going to go on with you. Trying to buy a business. So there was this one time I was trying to buy this company in um, El Paso, and um, I had someone had given me the lead. This guy, he was the founder. As is, again, these are my favorite kind of business. I, I just do well with first generation, kind of gruff, um, edgy old dudes that are tough as nails and don't need my money. I just do well with those guys. So this guy had told me that he had that if I was going to buy a business in this particular industry, and I'm going to leave that uh, undisclosed just because this guy he still owns his business, I didn't acquire it. Um, but uh, he said that would be the business to buy. It's a market you guys want to take. He's the best there is. He's getting up in years, and I don't think he has any heirs. You ought to try to sell to him. But he warned us: the guy's he's gruff. He is. He's hard to get a hold of. But I did. I picked up the phone. I called him. I said, Mr. So-and-so, I said, my name's Jason Wright. And I said, uh, would you ever consider selling me your business? And so, boom, pause, listen to me right here. Sometimes that's the first step. It's that easy. Don't think that some business broker has to have a business listed for you to go buy it. On almost any given day, and you small business owners that are listening to this, you can attest to this. I know I sure can. On any given day, a business is for sale because the owner's just had enough. The employees are driving them crazy. The, the, the IRS is driving them crazy. It's just the customers are driving them crazy, and they'll almost throw the keys to you and say, fine, take it. So if you have a business that you think is an industry you would love to pursue, is in a regional location, it's, it's in the town. Like in my case, I needed to find a business out in East Texas, preferably Tyler. This case, we will need to be out in West Texas. So we were looking in El Paso. Pick up the phone, call the owner, and then ask them, would you sell me your business? It's flattery if nothing else. You got They own something that you want. There's no offense to it. That's how I bought my first business. I called the guy up. Now, granted, it, the, the rumor had surfaced that his father, the, the founder of the company, was ready to retire. The son had no desire to take it over. But they hadn't put it on the market or offered it up for sale. But I picked the phone I said, hey, would you consider selling your company? So I say that just to let you know that it's not always like going out to bizbroker.com or something like that. Those are great ways. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest companies that I didn't buy was through a business broker. Business brokers can be fantastic, just like a great real estate agent for finding you those gems that – for some reason, they've gone out and done it. They've gone out and convinced that seller, "Hey, you need to start planning for your, you know, your exit. I can help you prepare by selling, so you can find good deals." This is not to say that business brokers aren't all aren't you know ever necessary, but I'm just saying you don't have to wait. So, just kind of continuing that story, I remember. Going out there, my my business partner had an airplane. I told him, I said, you know, my my buddy's got a plane that the guy that I'd be doing this deal with, he's got a plane. We can fly out and meet with you next week. And he said, Jason, he said, all right. He said, but just understand this. He said, I don't need the money. This isn't about money for me. So I doubt that we'll do anything because it's going to be way too high and I don't have to sell and I don't need money. And I said, well, that's okay. At the very least... I would like to meet, and that way one day should you decide you no longer want to do this. I want to be the guy you call. That's it. Can, can we do that? And he said, sure. I'll listen to you. I'll give you an hour. So my buddy and I, we hopped on his, uh, his plane the next week, and we flew out to El Paso, and we met with this guy. And we ended up having a great conversation, and he loved the fact that we were not from BlackRock, we were not from one of the, you know, from one of the large uh, private equity firms or VC firms. We were just two guys that were in this business at the time. I was uh, a partner in this business, and his was, uh, was in, the, we weren't just kind of churning and burning deals. This was like going to be a, an asset that we would not only acquire, but run for the long haul, and he liked that, and he liked us. He liked the fact that I just shot him straight and was respectful. He was old school, and I'm a yes sir, no sir kind of guy, so we really had a nice chemistry there. And he, uh, by the end of the conversation, he said, he said, well, boys, he said, I'll tell you this, if and when I sell, I will sell to you guys. He said, I'm not selling to one of the big players in my industry. And I'm sure as hell not selling to one of the private equity firms or the or investment banking firms or anything like that. He said, because then lawyers get involved, they haggle. And I just, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to do it. And so while we didn't, he still owns the company. So we didn't get that deal done. But We were in a position that had nothing to do with finance, had nothing to do with experience, had everything to do with personality to be the seller. So I cannot stress enough. When you find your target acquisition, should you decide to do this, make sure to exercise good salesmanship. Learn about that business and be very, very respectful of that owner their time and their business. You got to remember something about a small business owner. A lot of those small businesses very rarely especially if they're good ones that you want to acquire. I mean they're they're spitting off, you know, 2 million dollars top line a year and you go through the books and you realize that this guy is richer than 6 miles up a bull's rear because he has collected 250 to 300,000 sometimes half a million dollars out of that business for the last 20 years, but it started out of the back of his, uh, out of his garage or some barn on his property where he was just doing some welding and fabrication. And, and then he ended up hiring an assistant and they, and they got a contract to make some sort of a little gasket for some company or something like that. And then that created, then that, that grew from there because the, the industry changed in the, in the oil field. And so they, they figured out a way to make this, uh, some little device that you attach to a bit. And so they had to hire a few more and they hired a few more. And then Along the way, they had children, and then he had fights with his wife like everybody does, and he nearly divorced and sometimes did divorce and thought he was going broke, and he, had, he lost employees, he gained employees, he, he lost friends. In other words, for 50 years, this business owner wasn't just in that business. His life was happening. He was living life, which is never easy. So if you can understand that and you can respect that and you can connect to that, then guess what? The seller just might decide that even if you can't come up with the money, he or she knows you're the right person to take this thing that they created, this business that their children grew up up running around playing in the office Okay, this thing that was so important to their life—it's what—it's what put food on the table. It's what sent kids to college. It's what purchased the Christmas tree and the presents under it. This business, this thing that they love and they cherish—that they went, that they walked into at five a.m. every morning and turned on the coffee for twenty and thirty years—and you respect that. I'm telling you, salesmanship has everything to do with acquiring a small business. So. Find out how much the business is worth and get financing in place. Now, here's what I wrote in the article. When determining the worth of a business, family, friends, and self-investment through 401ks can be a great source of finance. Banks can also be a great option when looking for financial support. Banks tend to have more in-depth knowledge and experience with business investments. So it is wise to do proper research before making a decision on where to best allocate funds. Doing this will ensure that financing is attainable and will give the business the best chance of success. So, all right, a lot of people will tell you they won't even touch a bank because they hate dealing with banks. And I do. I mean, a lot of people just immediately, again, for you folks out there that have never done this, You may think, well, the only way I could ever buy a business is go to get an SBA loan. Okay, SBAs, it's a decent route. I have never taken out an SBA loan. And the reason why is because I'm lazy. I don't like red tape. I don't like paperwork. I have have a terrible attention to detail. It's just too much work. And getting an SBA loan is a lot of work. Okay, so I've never done an SBA loan. And also, unless there are tangible assets like inventory or real estate coming with the business or some ironclad contracts that can be borrowed against, banks just aren't going to give you that much money. But here's where a bank can help you. A bank can help you with a line of credit. So let's say that you don't have a lot of cash, but you've got some good equity in your house, and, and you've got a relationship with a banker that, that knows that, for, for instance, if you're going to buy a, a business in the community in which you live, which I think is a very good thing, then there's a great chance that that business is a known entity. The owners are known entities. The products and services that they offer are known. The banker knows what's going on. And so even though due to Dodd-Frank, you really can't, is you unfortunately, you can't look so much as on the ground details of actually knowing your community, because instead you're supposed to treat everyone as though they're strangers if you're a banker. Kind of sucks, but that's just the reality of the situation. But they can they might know things and they can say, Yeah, we will do this deal. And here's how I would structure it if I were you. And a bank can be good as an alternative to partners. Now, let me explain this. And I'm trying not to go too in the weeds on this, and this is why I kind of like to teach a class on this. I think it'd be a lot of fun. The good news about bankers, if you're going to go borrow money to buy a business, the good thing about a banker is this. They go away. Bankers are not partners. Bankers rent you some money. Once you pay off the rent, they're done. They go away. You get to keep the business, okay? They are in the business of renting you money. They are not in the business of being in a tire shop business. That's not it. They may help you buy a tire shop, but they don't want to be in that business. They're just going to loan you the money to get into the tire business. They go away. Partners do not go away. So here's what I would suggest first and foremost. Try to refrain from taking on as many partners as you possibly can. If you're going to borrow, that's why, you know, first of all, tap into your own personal resources that you can risk losing. But look, people say that, but the bottom line is, if this is something you want bad enough, if this is something that is going to be life-changing, if this is going to get you off the road and more time with your kids and in a geographic location that you want to be to where you can kind of go back to your roots and put down roots with your own family— then look, you might have to take some risk that you just assessed it and you go, it's worth it. If this doesn't work out, if I lose all of this money, I'm going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But guess what? There's a lot more money out there to be made. Don't let, like I have done in my past, don't let a scarcity mindset keep you from doing a deal. There's, you're never going to have, unless you're just filthy rich, somehow you've, you've crushed it, you've had a massive equity event, or you've inherited a lot of money, you're probably not going to be ever have all the money you need to buy this business. So just get, get your head around that. But instead of borrowing money from or taking on partners, I highly suggest collecting as much money as you possibly can and making the down payment, and then borrowing the difference from a bank or, or a person, an individual lender, someone you know and trust that's willing to make you a loan. And by the way, by the way, if you happen to have that uncle or that mentor or just that person in your life that says, I'll help you get into this business, how much do you need? And they're willing to loan you $10,000, dollars $30,000. Don't just take a check from them do the honorable thing, draft a note with payment terms, treat them like a bank. They'll probably say, you don't have to do that. I mean, if it's somebody that you know and wants to help you, they probably probably won't, but you need it. You need to understand and treat that person as though They deserve to be paid back just as though they had a bank board approving that loan, okay? And then to figure out how much, and and do like I did, figure out these creative options, figure out what, how can I be creative? How can I, how can this, what can this business finance on its own? Does it have real estate attached that I can borrow against, that I can pull out and give back to the owner at the closing table? Get creative. Let's see here. Negotiate the purchase price with the seller and close the deal. Negotiating the purchase price with the seller is one of the most important stages of selling the deal. It requires salesmanship, relationship building, and a certain finesse, which can make it complex in nature. Making sure you are both on the same page and understanding each other's opinions requires respect, thoughtfulness, and a good personality in order to facilitate the transaction. Negotiating a sale can be difficult, but if done right, can be just as rewarding as closing it. If you're thinking of buying a business, there are a few things you should keep in mind. First, do your research. to to make sure that the business is, is a good fit for you. Second, find out how much the business is worth and get financing in place. Finally, negotiate the purchase price with the seller and close the deal. By following these steps, you'll be on your way to owning a successful business. All right, so I want to go back up there to this point that kind of reiterated what I already talked about, which is this. Negotiating the purchase price with the seller is one of the most important stages of sealing the deal. All right, look, here's the thing. I've kind of hammered home the point that you want to be the seller that this owner wants to sell to. It can do a couple of things. One, it can actually get you a better price. If you are up against some some guy that's just an out-of-towner that literally just buys small businesses turns them around, cleans them up, adds a few you know lines of a business to up the top line and then dumps it. And you're, not, you're just a churn and burn type, type guy. That's who you're up against to buy this business. Chances are you might be able to get the business for less than that person. That's the cool thing. When you're buying a business, it's not always a zero-sum game. It's not always to the highest bidder. Here's also something that you got to think about. Let's say that... You are, you don't have the cash you need to put down. That you're going to have to ask this seller to carry more debt than they really want to. And by the way, okay, so here's a whole nother deal. (laughs) What you have to know going in, and a lot of sellers, they don't even know this themselves. So the answer they give you is probably not going to be right. But it's not because they're lying to you. It's because they don't really know. It's like when you go to buy a house and somebody says I will not take less than $550,000 for this house. I will not do it. Well, often they will. Once an offer of $535,000 is on the table and there are no other offers and the the you know the kids are ready to get the heck out, you they've already bought another house. There's circumstances change, okay? So when someone tells you that I must have 1.5 $2 million for my business. Anything less will not entertain. That's not really it. That's not the truth. It's not the truth. They have some number that they need to walk away from the closing table with. That's the one you need to find out. That's the number you need to figure out. And depending on their circumstances, and let me tell you something, The Millionaire Next Door, that book by Robert Kiy- Kiyosaki, The Millionaire Next Door No, excuse me. Robert Kiyosaki wrote uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Who wrote uh, Millionaire Next Door? I can't remember. But anyway, those are the businesses you're buying. These individuals, most likely, they don't owe anyone a penny. They don't need the money from this sale. Anything that they get over and above what they've really got in their mind as their walkaway price, which might be $150,000, $250,000 at the closing table, anything over that might be gravy. They've made their fortune air quotes, off the business, now it's just kind of a final payday, right? It's their own self-inflicted severance pay. So what you need to ask them at some point is, let me ask you this, how much cash do you need to walk away from the closing table with? Early in the negotiations, if they're asking $1.5 million, they'll say, I need $1.5 million. Okay. I cannot do that. But don't tell them that. Instead, go, okay, okay. And then establish the relationship. Because whenever they tell, tell you, the person they're meeting for the first time, they need the 1500000 million, they're telling a stranger. They're telling someone who has not seen their business. They're telling someone who has not maybe been to dinner with them and the wife to discuss stories of the business. When the hell made y'all decide to start this anyway? Really? How long have you been at it? Oh, my gosh. Did you, were you ever scared you weren't going to make it? Yeah. All of a sudden, the stories get, get to be told. And then you find out about their kids and their grandkids. And then all of a sudden, this husband and wife, they go they go home. And they go, you know, I really like Jason. I I really would love to see him get this thing. And all of a sudden, they start pulling for you. They start pulling for you to be the winner of the contest in which they control all the rules. So a week, two goes by, you've talked, you've established the relationship. And mind you, by the way, I don't want to miss, I want you to misunderstand this. This doesn't mean that you're trying to do some con job on them. No, they will sniff that out. You don't become a successful business owner for that long by being an idiot. No, you're genuine. And the and the thing is. What you need to gauge is every robot or every roadblock that comes along. Every time that you see that, oh my gosh, there is no way I'm going to pull this deal off. You need a gut check. If you're willing to say, I don't care, I want this. I don't care, I want to do this. And by the way, if every time that 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 you you come up, you face that wall. And you're saying, no, I want this. And it has nothing to do with money. But you see that you just know you would love waking up and going into this business every day that you would want your children running the halls of this business, that you would want to serve this community and these customers. And this business would allow you to join that local rotary club. And this business would allow you to build something and, and do the things you've always wanted to do and never have to get on airplanes and travel outside the, your, your, your state to do business, but stay right here in your community plugged in. Then you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to, I will figure this out gauge that. That means, that, you, that means you're in the sweet spot. That means you're where you need to be. So you're genuine, and you've created this relationship. Now, three weeks in, Sally, how much do you need at the closing table? Well, I said 1.5. I know you said that, Sally, but I can't do it. I don't have that kind of money. I think I've got a way to structure this deal but tell me what is your absolute what do you need to walk away with well you know what i could probably do if you could get me 200,000 in cash i'd probably be okay all right and that look 200,000 1.5 million that's a huge delta Maybe it's half a million. Maybe I need a million dollars. But still, if they said, if she says, I will take, if I can walk away with a million dollars in a cashier's check from the closing table, we can do the deal. Then guess what? Your $1.5 million business that you're buying, your $1.5 million new life that you're buying just became a million dollar business that's the only number if the if you if you've done the due diligence and the business is worth the 1.5 then all that matters now is it, it's 1.5 million and by the way the business does enough revenue to service any debt and pay off the mentor or the family member to pay them off and to pay off the bank and then it just comes down to all right I've got to go scrape together a million dollars somehow some way and then you start doing the deals where you're like okay Sally what if I did this okay the 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 machine shop in the back—that's some pretty valuable real estate. It's worth about half a million dollars. If I were to go get a loan for two hundred fifty thousand and gave it to you as a down payment, would you own or finance the difference? Yeah, okay, I, I, I can see. I could do that. And what's the worst case scenario? She takes back her machine shop, and then you rent it from her. If you've established the trust, then maybe she will. You see what I'm saying? The point is this. If there's anything that I can convey to you about buying a small business, it's this. Establish relationship. Be a good salesperson. Sell this person on you being the one that they need to sell to. Get creative with your financing. Make sure it's the right business for you. And that doesn't just mean it's the right industry. It means it's in the right location. It, it, it's the right business hours to con- that's conducive for your lifestyle. It's the right business for your family. You understand it enough. Now here's the deal: I bought a real estate brokerage. Okay, I didn't know the first thing about selling houses, but my my uh, stepmother and my stepbrother they had been very successful in owning uh, brokerages. So I saw it from a distance. I was never involved in their businesses, but I saw that you know I, I understood basically what was happening. And look, it's not that, that was a business. It's not rocket science, right? It's a commission business, and I got it. And I figured it out. I Trust me, I did everything in the world I could to screw it up, but I bought in a good enough market to where it covered up a lot of my mistakes. But make sure you know the business and kind of all the surrounding factors that make this worthwhile. And then establish that relationship and just remember that you can always get creative. And here's the thing. Never be afraid to ask. So if if you need something from the seller if if something doesn't make sense here's a great example so the bi- i'm going to tell you about one of the biggest mistakes i made okay this is so so listen in don't do what i did the real estate firm that i purchased so when you're buying a real estate firm, first of all, you're buying nothing but air, right? And goodwill. I was really buying the real estate with an existing business that, but you know, all the realtors leave the next day after you close the deal, then it's worth nothing. Right. And the way that part of the formula to figure out how much a real estate firm is worth is how much they bring in in gross commissions. Right. And then the net commission to the company is how much you paid your agents and how much is left over. Well, in the top line that we used to value the business i was buying we included the owner's production which was the highest in the company i was buying okay now whenever we closed the deal to get him to sell me his company i was going to put him on a very high commission split so i and so i was used, so basically i should have backed out all of his commissions to the company in valuating how much the business was worth because I wouldn't reap the benefit of his commissions once I bought the company, but I didn't do that. I figured it right in there. So I paid him the price with his numbers in there. And then after I closed the deal, he got all that commission because that's how I ended up doing the deal. Don't do that. Ask, Look and and don't get clouded by wanting the deal to happen so badly that you just go, "Eh, I'm going to make a bad business decision here. But here we go. I'm gonna kind of talk out both sides of my mouth, so forgive me. Be willing to sacrifice some of those things that you would never do otherwise, because you realize, okay, I can make this a negotiable. Because if I pull this off, I get to have this life. I get to make this work. You follow me? Um, I guess that's it. I, I just I wanted to go through that. Please submit your questions. I would really love to come back on here and uh, and answer some of the questions online. I know because this was, I could go all day. This is so high level. And by the way, this is not universal for everyone. I mean, look, there's some of these things that, like you're going to deal with a seller that only cares about the highest bidder. That's it. That, that's going to happen. But I think more times than not, if it's a business that you're buying, that, um, that the owner is the founder and they've been there for a long time. They do care about it. They do. Uh, the guy that I was trying to buy his business in El Paso, now he'll tell you, he didn't have any emotional attachment to it. He, he said, I don't care anything about this place. He said, I always thought whenever I got ready to sell or, or quit, I would just have a big auction. I would sell all my equipment. I would close the doors and I'd walk away, which again, only I know that. Only I know that he doesn't care about money. Only I know, because I pick up the phone and said, will you sell me your business? Only I know that I could probably finance that entire thing, just like I did my first acquisition, 100% leveraged buyout, not one penny out of my pocket. I do the math in my book, Push Play, Take Your Life on Off Pause. I walked away from the closing table of buying my first business with ninety thousand dollars in my pocket. I know this sounds like some Grant Cardone deal, doesn't it? And it is. I I I'd never. I was listening to my Carlton Sheets tapes, but before Grant Cardone and guys like that were making millions telling you how to do this stuff, I was doing it because I was broke and had no other choice, and just trying to figure how the heck out to do this. But you you figure out by asking. Ask the questions. What can you do? And just being creative. And to me, that's the most exciting part about buying a business. It's not like buying a freaking car. Buying a car is boring. There's nothing creative about that. But buying a business, it can be um it's it's being creative, it's creating the relationships, and it um and if you do it right and it will work. And the cool thing is here, let me let me tell you this too. Here's the crazy thing about Owning a business to kind of alleviate some of your risk. I don't know if it's not gonna alleviate it, but hopefully make you feel a little bit better about taking on some of the risk that comes with it. Once you're in it, you can't get out real quickly. So, guess what? You stay and you swim. There were so many times in that first year of owning my first business, I wanted the hell out. I wanted to get out. I, I thought, I'm going to go broke. I'm going to, this thing's going to, it's going down. I can't do this. i made the worst decision of my life. What the, I don't like Tyler. I don't like the people. I don't like my employees. I don't like this business. What have I done? What have I done? What have I done? But guess what? I was stuck. You don't get to just leave a job when you own the job. You don't. You figure out how to make it work, and you stay. staying. And there were times, I mean, guys, listen to this. Last story, and I'll wrap this episode. Maybe we'll do another one. If you guys ask me to do some more uh, business war stories, I'm happy to do that. Um, that first year in business, I remember I was coming upon uh, the end of the year and getting ready for my taxes, and I was like, hmm, I haven't paid myself any money. I didn't. I had to put every single penny I made off the the agents' commissions and anything I sold back into the company, just paying for it. I had to make one of my payments by cashing in some options I had from Home Depot to make a payment on the business to uh, to Jim Daughtry, uh, the guy I bought whose business I bought uh, in in Tyler. And I remember calling my CPA up and I go, Shane, I said, um, this is weird. I said, I don't know how to say this, and you're gonna have to help me out here, but. I know I'm not going to get a tax refund this year because nothing's gone in, but how does this work? I've never not made money. I haven't taken taken any money this year. And he said, well, you're probably eligible for an earned income tax credit. Yeah, and I said, wait a minute. Isn't that for people that are struggling, that need help? And he laughed, and he said, well, you've put all your money back in the company. You haven't taken any money out. And um, and for those of you scratching your head that you've never run a business, what you do is you just you live off savings and you expense things that um, where you can. It's and you just you live off you stretch pennies into nickels is what you do, and um, and it's it's no fun. You may think you're pulling some IRS gymnastics, you're not. It's not fun. It's, and if you're like me, I mean, I look, I I don't color outside the lines. I, I do it by the book, and and so therefore. <laughs> Um, it's uh, it's and, and and I remember I had the IRS show up. One, 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 one more story. I was trying so hard to do everything so right that whenever I would pay my employees, I was such a small business, I only had to make my payroll taxes every quarter. But I went in and created an EFTPS online payment account, and I paid my payroll taxes with every pay period. I mean, if if my Employees got checks, then the IRS got their portion of it. Well, the IRS doesn't necessarily care about the money as much as they care about the reports. So what I would do is I would just make all these deposits, but I wasn't making filling out the reports of to go with the deposits. Well, then I get this letter from the IRS one day. That they're gonna shut me down, they're gonna lock my business, they're gonna garnish my business uh checking account. I'm just freaking out because again, I'm a rule follower. I mean this is it just scared me to death so i go over to we don't have one anymore but at the time we had a local irs office and this lady's name was joy and she was a joy and i mean that not sarcastically uh you hear all the bad horror stories about the irs but let me tell you something i went and i talked to this lady and she said i tell you what i'm going to come by your office and i'm going to help you out and she did she showed up to my office a couple of days later. She brought me these little forms. She said, I want you to fill one of these out every single time you make up, uh, you cut your paychecks, and I want you to fax them directly to me. And we'll get this all straightened out because you have made the necessary pay. The money is there. You just don't have the reports to go with it. And she was so kind. I'll never forget that. But you're going to have those times. That's why I said, you know, uh, it's kind of like riding that Harley Davidson in a parking lot, <laughs> being a small business owner. And, uh, actually being one and the thought of being one can be two very, very different things, but you look back after a while and, and having been at it for so long now, it's, um, it, to me, it's worth it to, to some people it may not be, but to me, it's been worth it. And, uh, you just learn to deal with those times. So anyway, I could share war stories all day long about doing deals, deals going bad. <laughs> Um, tempers flaring it's it's something but if uh, if you have any questions about you know acquiring a business or whatever then uh, shoot me a shoot me a DM uh, or uh, contact me through the website Thanks so much for listening to the Jason Wright Show. There's a lot of fun. I've um, got a new, uh, new project going to be launching with my buddy James Quandall. We're going to be starting that tomorrow, so be keeping your eyes peeled for that. I do hope you'll check out MTH, Massively Transformative Habits, in the Vitruvian Lab. And until we meet again, continue to improve, always and always. Amen. Well, that does it for this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonwrightnow.com and signing up for The Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always, in always. I'm out.